Good morning, Orlando. Great to have you with us here on a Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock as we bring you our first check on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning the White House imposes sanctions on Venezuela, and investigators ID the man seen leaving McDonald's before an explosion. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. Have a look at Emily's quick trip through Saki Central Florida, and the Marines have landed at the White House, all in this half hour of Good Morning Orlando. And good Tuesday morning at 6.01 on News Radio 102.5. The White House is responding strongly to Venezuela's weekend election. In a briefing on Monday, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said new sanctions are being directed at Venezuela President Nicolas Maduro. Mnuchin said Maduro is a dictator who disregards the will of the Venezuelan people. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster slammed civil rights abuses in Venezuela. McMaster and Mnuchin described Venezuela's weekend election as illegitimate. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. The new White House chief of staff is reorganizing how the West Wing operates. Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders says all White House staff will now report directly to John Kelly. That includes President Trump's daughter Ivanka and his son-in-law Jared Kushner. Kelly's first day on the job also saw the departure of new communications director Anthony Scaramucci. His short time on the White House roster was marked by profanity-laced tirade in a magazine interview that was directed at former Chief of Staff Reince Priebus and senior advisor Steve Bannon. Yeah, we'll get into all of the White House palace intrigue here, and there's a lot more to say in this half hour, Deb. In the meantime, Bud, a new wrinkle is emerging in the story about Donald Trump Jr. sit-down with a Russian lawyer. The Washington Post says Trump personally dictated the statement John Jr. put out in response to the news. The statement in question claimed Donald Trump Jr. and the lawyer, quote, primarily discussed a program about adoption of Russian children, end quote, in the June 2016 meeting. Trump created the response on Air Force One on his way back to Washington, D.C. from the G20 summit in Germany. Trump Jr. later released emails showing the meeting was arranged after he was promised dirt on Hillary Clinton. Back here in the Sunshine State, after slashing, after sloshing, rather, crossing the Florida Peninsula, what is left of former Tropical Storm Emily is now in the Atlantic, north-northeast of Vero Beach and heading out to sea. It was downgraded to a tropical depression last night. All tropical uh, advisories have been discontinued, but 31 counties remain under a state of emergency. The big fear is flooding from heavy rains. Governor Rick Scott says staying safe is job one. We're doing everything possible to keep Florida families safe and visitors safe. Uh, we have you know, close to 21 million people live in our state. We have millions of, people, of tourists here pretty much every day. I want to make sure everybody stays safe. Thankfully, Emily isn't expected to re-intensify. Yeah, this surprised forecasters, and we're going to talk with one of our AccuWeather meteorologists in a couple of minutes about um, what Emily was all about here, some of the pretty amazing rain totals. And how this thing wasn't even a, a tropical storm when we came on the air yesterday, and suddenly it was to everyone surprised by the middle of the show. That's a little unsettling, and we'll be discussing that with one of the experts on our AccuWeather staff in a moment here, Deb. All right. In local news, investigators believe they know who caused an explosion at an Orange County McDonald's. The sheriff's office said yesterday they have identified the man seen leaving the restaurant in Lockhart Sunday just minutes before the explosion. The person of interest, as they're calling him, is not cooperating, however, and has not been located. No one was hurt in the explosion, but the bathroom was damaged. And finally, a napping bear makes for a little less inviting welcome mat. Just ask a Central Florida man who found a sleeping bear blocking his front door. 
Warren Woodard said his wife met him at the garage of their Longwood home and told him about this strange obstacle. When he saw the animal, he thought it might be sick or injured, but it awoke on the doorstep when the police arrived. Woodward said one of the officers yelled, look out, and the bear headed right at him, forcing him back into the garage as the bear sauntered off. So what's the old expression? Let sleeping dogs lie even more so when you're talking about a black bear, right, Exactly. Deb? Oh, man. I, I can see where he got a little cranky and headed toward the officer. He just interrupted a nap. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody loves a nap. Absolutely, and everybody gets cranky when it's interrupted. Exactly. I can tell you that firsthand. <laughs> so can I. <laughs> WFLA News Time at 6.05. Read about a dramatic rescue saving cable car passengers. One of the experiences I would imagine I would not want to be rescued from. Oh, man. Those- Hundreds of feet in the air. Oh, boy. Yeah. You can get the story at 1025WFLA.com. The first hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. News, weather, and traffic for the best audience in talk radio. This is Good Morning Orlando on News Radio 1025. Direct to you from the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. The Bud Man, the Deb Meister, and look who's back after a three-day weekend. Yaffe, good to have you with us where you're supposed to be. Running the show, <laughs> producing the show in the control room on the 50,000-watt front porch. Hope good you morning. Had a, eh? Hope you had a good longer weekend. Hey, good morning, everyone. Yeah. Good to be with you. I don't you. remember giving permission for his day off no, yesterday. He needs did, did I forget to ask? You did. To get the Deborah Roberts seal of <laughs> you approval? Did. Oh, man. What was see, I thinking? Yappy is so valuable that he knows if he came to either one of us we to green light <laughs> a day off, it'd never happen. He'd never be off. <laughs> I just, ah, there's the secret. <laughs> yeah, I just do it. Yeah, exactly. But thanks for Tom Benson, who sat in and did very, very well yesterday. You know, guys, I've always wanted to live on a lake and a river. And for about several hours yesterday, I did, courtesy of Emily. We were caught in one of those persistent bands that came through Volusia County, coming back in off the ocean toward the storm that was traversing south of us, and into Seminole County, and out in the Winter Springs area where we live. And it was unbelievable. The little pond in the back got bigger by many factors than I've ever seen it before. And quite literally, our street was a river. You could not see pavement. Wow. And it was flowing like a river. But it no, was amazing. No flooding at your home though. We're on just enough high ground that oh. we were okay. But I mean I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, I mean you wanted to live on a river, not in a river. Right. You know so. that, that, that's not the way I want waterfront property. And a lot of <laughs> folks would be in the same boat, I think, uh, and they're all thinking about it this morning. For a couple of hours there yesterday, if you were caught in some of these bands, yeah. the rainfall totals were pretty amazing and it was really coming. Yes, really it coming. was. Yep. I mean, yet yeah, thirty one counties still under a state of emergency, so a lot of people dealing with a a lot of extra water this morning. Yep, and while the storm is basically gone, there's still a lot to say about Emily, and we're going to bring on one of our fine AccuWeather uh, meteorologists in a moment for a quick conversation before we get into the White House Palace intrigue as the Marines land in the form of retired four-star General John Kelly to the rescue as the new chief of staff. I'm optimistic, to say the least. We'll talk about it all in this half hour, and then we just got some great stuff coming up on the backside of that. So stay with us if you can. Make stuff comfortable here on the 50,000-watt front porch where you will always be high and dry. All of this in Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Well, Emily came out of nowhere and seems to have suddenly just pretty much departed the scene here in Florida. It was a very wet and soggy, and in some places, particularly out on the Gulf Coast, close to where the storm developed, a very windy trip 
as well. Let's get the very latest in the wake of um, Tropical Storm Emily as we bring in AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson. Um, great to have you with us here in the 50,000-watt front porch on Good Morning Orlando. Thank you so much for dropping by, Brian. Yeah, good morning. So what is the latest on what remains of Emily? Well, Emily is uh, kind of, ex- as you alluded to, kind of exited stage right this morning, uh, already offshore. It's now a tropical depression. Top winds only 30 miles per hour, uh, but about 50 miles to the north-northeast of Vero Beach. So it's now offshore and uh, moving away from the Florida Peninsula. Uh, and actually, as you look at the radar this morning, uh, things have really quieted down. Not really even uh, that much rain left across uh, the peninsula compared to what we had this time yesterday morning. Let's talk about the rain totals um, as you have them at AccuWeather. In a few areas in central Florida, uh, they were pretty substantial. We know that. Yeah, uh, around Orlando, about a uh, half inch or so of rain uh, at the airport. As you get uh, off to the west, though, and uh, off to the south, that's where the, some of the heavier amounts were. Uh, some big r- ranges uh, around Tampa Bay, you get on the north side of the bay, there really wasn't much of any rain. And then uh, you get to- toward the south side, uh, toward uh, Sarasota as well. Many places picked up three or four inches of rain. And that's where some of the, the gustier winds were. We had some wind gusts up to around 40 or 45 miles per hour, too, as the as the storm was making a landfall. I know you folks at AccuWeather, and you're the best in the business. You have to look kind of at the big picture. I can tell you that there were some very persistent bands associated with this storm that came down into Seminole County, where I live, and uh, there were rain totals ranging from three and a half all the way to more than six and a half inches of rain that caused, you know, flooding over a over a short period of time and it was i mean it just kept on raining in one place and of course that's what happens let me ask you this question here this storm as i'm reading emily um is one of the fastest to go from becoming a tropical storm to actually making landfall yesterday morning at this time nobody was suggesting this was going to develop at all what happened with emily even in the wee hours yesterday morning, uh, the the odds of it becoming uh, even a depression were, were pretty low. Uh, we really weren't expecting this to develop. One of the things we, I think that was expected was it was so close to land, it just wouldn't have the time to develop. But uh, it just happened to develop enough of a swirl that it became a, a tropical depression. And then some of the wind gusts, uh, on the especially the southern flank of the storm, became strong enough that it, it ramped up into a tropical storm pretty quickly, within an hour or two of developing. Uh, and uh, it was just enough time before it made landfall that it uh, was able to become a tropical storm, a weak one, but a tropical storm nonetheless. You know, as we start to get into the heart of the hurricane season, Brian, I have to tell you the fact that a storm would come out of nowhere and fool the forecasters is a little unsettling to the public, and I wonder if it might be a little bit unsettling to you guys in the business. <laughs> it's uh, it's never fun when these things kind of pop out of nowhere. We we, we could see a couple days out there was going to be a, a blob of thunderstorms, perhaps some heavier rainfall in, in some spots, but I think the the idea that it was going to be this organized uh, just wasn't there at that point. Uh, obviously, it didn't become a strong storm, but certainly the, the flooding issues uh, did uh, kind of crop up yesterday across parts of Florida. Two quick questions before you go on. i got about 30 seconds here. Are we just looking at getting back to a normal summer weather pattern here, and do you see anything else cooking in the tropics we Floridians need to keep our eyes on, Brian? Yeah, we're getting to that time of year. We really do have to keep an eye on things. Uh, peak of hurricane season, of course, the early September, but we're heading into the uh, hottest part of the year here, uh, August, September, for uh, tropical development. But uh, we are heading into a, a fairly typical uh, summertime pattern because not only did we have the rain yesterday, it, was off, uh, it really was quite cool, too. Temperatures struggled to get out of the 70s, but we're heading back up uh, close to 90 the next few days, and there will be some spotty thunderstorms. As far as anything else in the Atlantic, uh, there's a feature, so we get to the middle of next week, or uh, late this week, I should say, in the central Atlantic, we'll have to watch, but nothing of immediate concern to Florida. 
AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson, thanks for coming on and talking about Emily and the tropics. We appreciate it, Brian. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, you too. All right, here we go. As we continue on Good Morning Orlando from the Frontgate Realty Studio, visit laurahasthebuyers.com. We're going to get into the, to the hurricane that is swirling around the White House that I think General Kelly may well be able to settle down. Uh, all of that is coming up here. Some very interesting stuff. I think you will agree. Hope you can stay with me. So as I said in the headline at the top of the show, the Marines have landed at 1600 Pennsylvania in the form of retired four-star Marine General John Kelly moving over from being Homeland Security Secretary. And Trump said he did an exemplary job, and by all accounts he has done that, to become the White House Chief of Staff. And when we were um, with you yesterday, we knew that the swearing-in ceremony would be at about 9.30 Monday morning. And we wondered what would happen with the director of communications, Anthony Scaramucci, once General Kelly took the reins as Trump's chief of staff. We did not have to wait long. The very first thing Kelly did, reportedly, was to haul Scaramucci into his new office and fire him. And then, reportedly, Kelly had Scaramucci escorted from the grounds of the White House. A little bit chilly, wouldn't you say? But apparently President Trump, if you listen to Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday in her, in her press briefing, he was unhappy with the profanity-laced tirade in The New Yorker by Scaramucci, and, and as well he should have been. There were initial reports that Trump kind of liked it. I never believed that. Apparently he had a huge problem with it. And he's right. There's no place for that kind of thing. And Scaramucci, Yaffe, when you look back on the 11 days that he was there as communications director, I mean, look at all that has happened. I mean, it, it, it's just it's just like a whirlwind. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's like there's this debris field left behind Anthony Scaramucci. Now, listen <laughs> to this. Did more damage than Tropical Storm well, Emily? Well, yeah, yeah, quite a lot, yes, <laughs> and of greater consequence for sure. So Scaramucci is hired by Trump's communications director because he doesn't like his communications team. He and Spicer haven't been doing very well as soon as uh, Trump and Spicer, reportedly. So as soon as Scaramucci is hired, Spicer resigns immediately, staying on for a while, but he's out, okay? Now, I don't know whether he's still out, but that was what happened. So Scaramucci then accuses Reince Priebus, the chief of staff, and the old RNC chairman, of being the master leaker in the White House, essentially, blasting him with an outrageous, vulgar, profanity-laced tirade in the New Yorker magazine. Trump almost immediately fires Priebus. Then he hires General Kelly from Homeland Security to be his chief of staff, praising him to the hilt. And he's worthy of that praise. And then Kelly... In 30 minutes, fires Scaramucci. I don't know who the next director of communications is going to be, but of all the names I know, there is one I think would be Dynamite, and it would be talk show host, conservative talk show host, um, and editor of LifeSet, and that would be Laura Ingram. She would handle the press masterfully. She's a terrific communicator. I don't know whether you could get her on the Trump train or not, but that would be my pick. If the president asked me who he needs to try to land and whether or not she'd do it, 
She'd take an enormous cut and pay to do it. I guarantee you that. Um, well, yeah, and she blasted Scaramucci last week after that oh, yeah. that thing came out in the New Yorker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It seems like the big talk right now, though, is Kellyanne Conway. A lot of people are saying, Dilly uh, Caller has an exclusive saying that she's might be the one to get it. What about that? She'd be good, I think. I think. I mean, yeah, she did pretty good during the campaign. She's yeah. had a couple of gaffes here and there, but yeah, for the most has. part, yeah. she she did she does pretty well. I would take either one of them. And as far as being the daily press secretary, actually, I want to see the director of communications in that job. I just don't think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a strong horse out there. I just don't. And I, frankly, to be honest with you, I know I know she's trying to be adversarial with the press who's out to get the president. But I get so tired of the flip five second answers. It's just um, you get no information. I mean, why are we even doing this? It just seems to me they could do a little bit better as a communicator. Okay, I'm sure that uh, Mike Huckabee's daughter is a lovely gal, but I, I she's I've just never been impressed when I watch her. That's just me, and that's my opinion. We got to get on the healthcare beat here in a minute. We got all kinds of stuff you need to hear, um, including something pretty incredible out of the mouth of Senator Lindsey Graham. So all of that is coming up. And we roll on here on um, the Tuesday edition of Good Morning Orlando. The Bud Man and the Deb Meister here. Deborah Roberts in with the news. And they've got chaos down there, big time in Venezuela and South America, as a dictator tries to consolidate power, and the U.S. doesn't like it. Yeah, no, and the U.S. is taking actions, Bud. The White House is announcing, in fact, new sanctions on Venezuela. All assets of Maduro subject to U.S. jurisdiction are frozen. And U.S. persons are prohibited from dealing with him. In a briefing yesterday, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said sanctions are being directed at Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. Mnuchin said Maduro is a dictator who disregards the will of the Venezuelan people. And National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster also slammed civil rights abuses in Venezuela. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. Back here closer to home, crews could start moving into Orlando Lakes neighborhood today to begin the process of sinkhole cleanup. Doug Tobin of Pasco County Government says county commissioners have approved $1.3 million to pay for any sinkhole costs and to remove debris, even though Tobin says it's really the property owner's responsibility. In an effort to uh, get that neighborhood back to normal and a public safety issue that uh, remains there with an open sinkhole, that the county is going to take action, and, and this is the first step to remove that debris, uh, and then and then we'll probably uh, see what kind of legal action needs to be uh, taken down the road. It's been nearly three weeks since that sinkhole swallowed parts of two homes, a driveway, a pool, and part of a road. Residents of a mobile home community in Lakeland hope Tropical Storm Emily will be a blessing in disguise. Yesterday's storm flooded May Manor near Lake Bonnet, and residents hope that'll make their community more of a priority when it comes to necessary repairs. Flooding is a problem whenever there's a heavy storm, but the city is weeks away from getting the results of a drainage study that would offer solutions. One May Manor resident tells the ledger he hopes the elderly population will lead the city to finally take quick action. And the hunt for a treasure worth millions continues to claim victims. 31-year-old Eric Ashby disappeared in June while on the Arkansas River in Colorado. He was looking for a treasure hidden somewhere in the Rocky Mountains by art dealer Forrest Fenn around 2010. Two others have already died looking for that treasure, and now a body that could be Ashby's has been found. Fenn has been asked over the years by authorities to call off the search for the $2 million in gold and jewels, 
but he has refused. You can get these stories and more at 1025wfla.com. The first hour of Good Morning Orlando continues now with Gina Cervetti and the Bloomberg Business Report. Thank you, Deb. And Gina's live, as always, from the um, Bloomberg Newsroom in New York City. Good morning from the Big Apple. Gina, how you doing? Good morning, bud. I'm well. How about yourself? So far, so good, but it's early. You never know oh. how the day is going to go, <laughs> do you? No, you don't. <laughs> how did yesterday go on Wall Street? What do the futures look like this morning, Gina? Well, the stock futures are higher, indicating a higher Wall Street open here as investors await lots of economic reports today, including updates on personal income and spending. We're also watching for the July auto sales numbers. Apple reports earnings after the closing bell. Yesterday, we had stocks mixed to start the week. Banks, energy, media shares were up. Tech companies were lower. The Dow hit another new record high, though. It rose 61 points to 21,891. The S&P slipped a couple of points to 2470. The Nasdaq, with all those techs, was down 27 points. And the Bloomberg Orlando Index was flat to higher. And Bloomberg reporting that Wall Street regulators have agreed to write something called the Volcker Rule. I would assume this is as in former Fed Chairman Paul Volcker? That's right. They've agreed to rewrite this rule, according to people familiar with the matter, moving to loosen industry-despised restrictions that were central to how the U.S. responded to the financial crisis. The changes talked about here will likely give big banks more flexibility for handling client trades, as well as investments in private equity and hedge funds. The rule, as you point out, named for former Fed Chair Paul Volcker, was meant to prevent lenders with FDIC insurance from making big market bets that could lead to to outsized losses. Proponents say the restrictions have made the market safer. The critics say the rule has made banks too conservative, prompting a retrenchment from certain markets that has dried up uh, liquidity in some cases. Very interesting there. Folks, have you ever been to the Texas Roadhouse for a steak or whatever? Um, I'm telling you, they are a bright spot in a restaurant industry right now that, generally speaking, is having tough times. What's the Texas Roadhouse story through the eyes of Bloomberg this morning, Gina? Well, Texas Roadhouse is offering fresh evidence that it is weathering the slump in much of the casual dining industry. Of course, we also reported not too long ago that Darden Restaurants owned uh, their Olive Garden chain is also beginning to do well. Mm -hmm. But by and large, the casual dining industry has been struggling. And now we're seeing Texas Roadhouse posting a second straight quarter of better than anticipated sales. They had some disappointing results in February. So this is certainly the news that investors want to hear. The chain cited a pickup in customer traffic for fueling sales growth. Yeah, I have no um, no commercial interest in saying this at all, but my wife and I discovered the local Texas Roadhouse when it opened here in the Orlando area. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's amazing the quality of steak you get for a phenomenal price. You know? Well, there and, you go. And have you ever been to a Texas Roadhouse? I certainly have, yes. Uh, yeah, I mm-hmm. think they're absolutely great, and I can see why you give people that kind of value and quality. You're going to do well, and it's a great story, Texas Roadhouse. Now, this is interesting as we close out the business um, uh, report from Bloomberg. We get a lot of clothes from China, as we know. Seems like everything's made in China. And the question arises, why hasn't China come up with a recognizable global trend? Why don't you address that as we uh, wrap things up here, Gina? Yeah, we buy a lot of clothing from China, but Bloomberg Businessweek is saying that 
that country has yet to produce a globally recognized brand. I mean, I, I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Uh, a London store that was opened by China's top maker of down coats failed because the company would not spend on the marketing it needed to raise awareness of a brand. So you can read about this story in the new issue of Bloomberg Businessweek. Fantastic stuff as always. Gina Savetti with our daily Bloomberg Business Report. Everybody looks forward to having you with us here at 635 every morning, Gina, and so do I. Have a great day in New York, and we'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks, bud. You too. All right, good deal. Now, moving ahead, is health care about to be revived? The president is demanding it. Believe it or not, sounds to me like the Senate is listening. Don't miss this important stuff coming up. Along with an update on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. So, the health care bill you thought was absolutely DOA, totally dead, may well be revived in another form. How would you feel about that? If you want to join our conversation on that in this segment, the number is 407 916 5400. What would your vision be for a health care bill to be revived that would actually pass? You know, all with the end game of undoing Obamacare. 407-916-5400, or you can weigh in on the text line, 23680. Yaffe and I are going to talk about this here in a moment. Uh, the president's been um, red hot about the Senate not giving up. He tweeted over the weekend, unless the Republican senators are total quitters, repeal and replace is not dead. Demand another vote before voting on any other bill. His budget um, director, uh, Mick Mulvaney, says that the White House policy now is that nothing should be voted on in Congress, not tax reform, not in anything else, until health care is taken care of. And last night, I'm settling back, already have the rundown for the show ready, I have to rip it up, when I'm watching Fox on the story at 7, Dana Perino hosting for Martha McCallum, and they trot out Senator Lindsey Graham, who seldom has anything good to say about President Trump. Last night was an amazing exception. I want you to listen to this soundbite we grabbed for you. Trump's demanding uh, the health care bill be revived in the Senate, and Graham, believe it or not, is totally with him. On fact, Fox last night, here he is pitching really a different approach than what we saw in the recent Senate efforts that went nowhere. I am like 1,000% with Donald Trump on this. We should be politically horsewhipped if we don't try again. The best idea we haven't even brought up, take all the money under Obamacare and mm -hmm. block grant it back to the states. That in single payer health care, the government closest to the people is the best government. The health care closest to the people is the best health care. It will make health care more accessible to you. If you don't like what's going on, you complain to your governor or your statehouse guy rather than a bureaucrat in Washington. I'm so excited about this. Mr. President, don't let us quit. Make us keep trying. I think we can pass this bill uh, to block grant the money back to the state. I kind of like what I hear from Lindsey Graham, but what I really hear behind the scenes with him and the rest of the Republicans in the Senate is a quiet panic, Yaffe, that they will be politically horsewhipped, as he said, by the voters in 2018 <laughs> if they do not fulfill the one promise they made incessantly over four election cycles to repeal and replace Obamacare. This concept of taking it out of the federal government's hands into the state hands and providing block-granted money to run a health care system uh, that responds to the unique makeup of their population state by state. Um, yes, I, I understand where Graham's coming from. The biggest problem with this is it still keeps a lot of Obamacare in place. 
when you think about it. It still keeps the idea that it's the federal government's job to subsidize a lot of health care. Now, it's giving it to the state, but the money's still coming from the federal government. And I'm still not hearing enough about repealing the regulations that came with Obamacare. That's really what's caused most of the problems. And I don't know if that's a part of Graham's. As far as I can see, it's not a part of his proposal. It's interesting. The president is also threatening Congress, saying that he could stop issuing federal government payments to insurance companies. Wow. Right. Well, that I mean, that would just, I mean, that, that would, would deep six Obamacare overnight. But then I don't know what the political backlash would be yeah. when all of a sudden people, as imperfect as Obamacare is, to say the least, they got nothing. You know, and who and, and who takes the political heat there? I also have to tell you, I don't know how with the Republican Party the way it is in the Senate, just in general, the big split, how you get 50 votes for anything you would put out there. Well, I think Graham is trying to get Democrats on board with this. And right. his proposal, out of all the proposals I've seen out of Republicans, his would probably get some Democrat votes because it keeps the general idea of the federal government subsidizing health care. Yeah, you might pick up a Joe Manchin and a couple of others, and it might be all you yeah. need to drag something across the finish line. And I think he's counting on that for this. Yeah, well, you may well be right. Um, so that is what we are. Uh, that's what we're following here. In a moment, though, we're going to take a break here and make your day. The president, for the first time, this president had an opportunity to bestow a Medal of Honor on an American hero from the Vietnam War yesterday. And that man's story is incredible. And there's another unbelievable story that is kind of a a sequel to the heroics of uh, of Sully Sullenberger, the pilot. The bird stopped the engines on his plane. He landed it in the Hudson River heroically a few years ago. Wait till you hear what happened over in Europe yesterday. It's an unbelievable story coming up. And now, a tale of two heroes on a Tuesday morning. For the first time yesterday as president, Donald Trump had the opportunity to bestow the nation's highest military honor, the Medal of Honor. The recipient was retired Army medic, 71-year-old James McLuhan. As a 23-year-old combat medic, McLuhan risked his life, the Army says, at least nine times to save wounded or stranded comrades, ten men in all, and prevented a much larger North Vietnamese force from overrunning them entirely back in May of 1969. His company, Charlie Company, 3rd Battalion, 21st Infantry, the 196th Light Infantry Brigade, got into all kinds of trouble at the hands of the North Vietnamese. McLuhan's platoon sustaining heavy casualties when they were ambushed by a larger enemy force. He left his weapon behind. He ran toward two unarmed soldiers who were pinned down. While assessing them for injuries, McLuhan was sprayed with shrapnel from the blast of a rocket-propelled grenade. He carried the men to safety despite his wounds. McLuhan would make similar trips at least four times, ignoring his commander's orders to stay back and instead charging into a kill zone to save the wounded. The next day... McLuhan sustained additional wounds from small arms fire and shrapnel, but he refused to leave his unit without a medic, as he was the only medic there. Enemy fighters enveloped them. McLuhan ran through the crossfire again and again to pull out the wounded. 
He encountered a soldier who'd been shot in the stomach, patched him up as best he could, carried him like a baby to a nearby trench where he would be safe. A machine gunner had been shot through the shoulder. McLuhan treated him and moved him to the trench. There were four or five others in really bad shape, he recalled. McLuhan brought them into the trench, too. Hopefully they could be saved. That night, when the soldiers had run low on ammunition, McLuhan volunteered to crawl into the open, carrying a light so a helicopter carrying their gear could locate them. He continued to treat casualties into the next morning, helping fend off attacks and keeping two seriously wounded soldiers alive. At last that afternoon, he helped gather the dead and wounded so the unit could be evacuated. The Army says McLuhan saved at least ten lives. His combat tour ended in 1970. He left the Army, eventually returned home to Michigan, where he became a high school teacher and a coach. He retired in 2008. What an American hero. James McLuhan honored with the Medal of Honor bestowed by the president yesterday. You remember Sully and the Miracle on the Hudson? The sequel to that occurred yesterday in Turkey when a pilot took off with 127 tourists on board his Airbus 320. And why air traffic control over there, which is probably not up to the standards we have, allowed them to take off in vicious thunderstorms and didn't know that there were huge hailstones in that storm. I have no idea, but be that as it may, 10 minutes after takeoff from the airport, they are pelted with golf ball-sized to chicken egg-sized hailstones that shatter the windows. They don't break them through. But you can't see out of him because of all the cracks. He was totally blinded. It knocked out his autopilot, bashed in the nose cone of the plane. He couldn't see. And somehow, he had 30 years' experience. It's nothing like an experienced pilot. He kept the plane in the air, turned it around in the thunderstorms, and landed it at the airport from where he had taken off that had subsequently been closed because of the atrocious weather. And everybody was safe. They landed safely. And immediately the president of the Ukraine gave him the highest honor in the nation. And pilots from other planes, reportedly, along with the passengers on the plane, passengers of other pilots rushed to the plane and came into the plane and hugged him and applauded him. And the passengers were all cheering him as well. And this guy, Captain Ann Alexander Akapov, 30 years' experience, said he just did what he was trained to do. That's a worthy sequel, isn't it, Yaffe? To the miracle on the Hudson here stateside. What a story, ending our tale of two heroes. Good morning, Orlando. Top of the morning to you here at the top of the 7 o'clock hour on a Tuesday as we update Orlando's news, weather, and traffic on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning the White House imposes sanctions on Venezuela, and they're celebrating Medicare's birthday up in Tallahassee. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. So are we done with Emily, and is there anything else cooking in the tropics we need to be worried about? We'll have a live report from one of our top AccuWeather meteorologists in moments here on Good Morning Orlando. Good Tuesday morning at 7.03 on News Radio 102.5. In Washington, a pleased Florida Senator Bill Nelson says the U.S. is already taking action to hit Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro where it hurts in the wake of Sunday's sham election. Now... 
What we've done today by the announcement from the Treasury Department is that we have frozen Nicolas Maduro's assets. And if other countries follow suit, they're going to freeze his assets as well. The State Department says Maduro has cast aside the voices and aspirations of the Venezuelan people with the election. Protests against the vote turned be- deadly with reports of over a dozen people killed. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. A birthday party for Medicare. It's been 52 years since President Lyndon Johnson signed on the bottom line and some Tallahassee seniors gathered at City Hall to celebrate, including with cake. David Jacobson with the Florida Alliance for Retired Americans says Medicare works. It has vastly improved the quality of life for millions of older Americans and allowed retirees to spend our later years in comfort and security. House Speaker Paul Ryan claims the system will collapse if there aren't major changes, but Anderson says that's a myth perpetuated by people who want to make more money by forcing seniors into the private insurance market. A new study reveals one in three Americans used prescription opioid painkillers in 2015. The National Institute on Drug Abuse survey showed that over 91 million Americans used drugs like OxyContin or Vicodin. The study also reported that about 5% took the drugs without a doctor's permission. Of those people, the most commonly reported source of the opioid painkillers were friends and relatives. This study is released on the same day the Presidential Opioid Commission, which is chaired by New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, put out its first report on combating the opioid epidemic. The CDC reports that the opioid epidemic has claimed more than 15,000 lives in 2015. Meanwhile, the White House Opioid Commission wants President Trump to declare a federal state of emergency in light of the opioid epidemic. In the commission's first report, the urgent recommendation it makes is to declare a national emergency. The commission defends this move by saying the declaration will spur the president's cabinet to take bold steps and would encourage Congress to focus on the issue as well. The commission confirmed more recommendations will be released in the fall. Last stat I saw, we're losing 91 people a day dying. Yes. From opioid addiction and countless thousands more hopelessly hooked and it's ruining their lives. It is a national crisis, a national emergency. It I don't really think is. that's over overly dramatic to say that. I don't think I, uh, either, especially if it's going to spur the kind of action that's necessary in order to you know, stem the tide. You bet. And finally, the NFL could be having a change of heart in how it handles marijuana. According to the Washington Post, the league has reached out to the NFL Players Association to possibly do a study to see how medical marijuana could help players with pain management. NFL Executive Vice President of Communications Joe Lockhart was quoted in the story saying, quote, We look forward to working with the Players Association on all issues involving the health and safety of our players, end quote. The NFLPA has already been looking into the effectiveness of marijuana to help with a variety of issues. I think it's worth looking at because some of these guys take these hardcore drugs to deal with the pain that comes with playing in the pros. You know, it's at least worth looking at, I think. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, there's even been word that, you know, sometimes they're even given some of those opioid uh, opioid painkillers yeah. during halftime just so they can get back out on the field and continue to play. Yeah, and we know what that can do. Absolutely. WFLA News Time at 7.07. Read about abductee Elizabeth Smart discussing her TV movie. She actually recreated the horror she went through at age 14. Can't imagine she'd want to relive that. It's amazing how she has reclaimed her life. She really, In fact, she's the uh, narrator for the program.
This I want to read about. Where do we go? 1025WFLA.com. Thank you, Bud Man. The second hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. News, weather, and traffic for the best audience in talk radio. This is Good Morning Orlando on News Radio 1025. You've heard from my partner and co-host. The one and only Deborah Roberts. Yaffe's back after a three-day weekend. Executive producing in the control room as we roll on for the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com in a moment. An AccuWeather meteorologist live to talk about Emily's passage through Central Florida. Are we all done with the storm that is now decayed from uh, tropical storm status? And what else is going on in the tropics we need to know about? Uh, we'll get a full handle on all of that live with an AccuWeather meteorologist in a moment here on the 50,000-watt front porch right after I update Orlando's news, weather, and traffic. And that is only two minutes out here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. It's amazing what a difference a day will make. Yesterday at this time, there was no such thing as Tropical Storm Emily. It erupted to the surprise of forecasters and all of us almost in no time at all off the coast of Tampa. And uh, now it is uh, seemingly long gone and we've got beautiful blue skies. Let's catch up on Emily here as we bring in our AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson live Good morning to you, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm just fine. Now, let's talk about Emily. What's the very latest with this system? Well, the, the, if you look at the radar, the uh, remnant swirl of uh, Emily now offshore, about, uh, about 60, 65 miles off of the uh, Space Coast this morning and moving away from uh, Florida. So that's good news, as you alluded to. The sky a lot clearer this morning. The radar a lot clearer, too. Really nothing going on across central Florida. There's going to be some uh, shower and thunderstorm activity and some lingering uh, moisture across South Florida today. Uh, but across Central Florida, certainly a much quieter day, just kind of back to the spotty shower thunderstorm. Yeah. And uh, also warmer today. Yesterday was the first time we had failed to reach 80 in Orlando since our early May. But uh, we'll certainly get there today. Yeah, that was a relief. But we paid for it with all of that rain <laughs> yeah. that some of us had. And um, is there any chance of this storm coming back, or is it a straight shot off the coast and never to be seen again? It'll be a straight shot off the coast to whether it redevelops back into a tropical storm. Some of the latest forecasts are that it'll just kind of stay a tropical depression and then uh, dissipate as it moves out to sea. But it looks like it's uh, getting caught in uh, the wind flow now, uh, and it's going to keep it from coming back. It'll just steer it right out to sea. At its worst, what kind of weather did uh, Emily wind up generating here within the sound of our voice? I have to imagine it was worse over in the Tampa Bay area than anywhere. It was, especially on on the south side of Tampa Bay. As you get to just north of Tampa, there really wasn't even much rain. Uh, there really wasn't much wind in the Tampa area either. Uh, as you got farther south towards Sarasota, that's where there were some wind gusts that did get up close to uh, even a little bit above 40 miles per hour, which is right around tropical storm force. Uh, so th- this was not a storm that was really well known for its wind, though. It was certainly the rain. Uh, parts of uh, the Tampa Bay area, especially again south, picked up uh, three, four, five inches of rain. There were some spots in the interior uh, where some of the uh, more persistent rain bands set up that picked up uh, over six inches of rain. Yeah, I know that to be true. <laughs> where I live up in Seminole County, it kept raining over the same area, and it was intense. And we yeah. had flooding there. We had rainfall totals reported four, five, six inches you know, over the course of five or six hours. That's a lot of rain. They had flooding down in Lakeland, we know, south of here. And pretty much South Florida the last couple of days has taken the pounding, hasn't it, even in advance of uh, Emily? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, we, It's certainly been a, a much wetter pattern after how dry it was earlier in the year. We've really uh, turned things around. Uh, just looking at the, the, the pretty remarkable in, in Gainesville, just the, in the month of June and the month of July, both months over 16 inches of rain. 
Uh, so just some incredible amounts of rain in parts of the states, and uh, we just kind of added on to that in some areas yesterday. It's amazing. You couldn't buy a drop of rain here in April, as we yeah, all absolutely. recall. Before I let you go, Brian, um, uh, you look at the tropics right now as we move into the month of August and things really begin to heat up traditionally. Do you see anything we need to be worried about? Yeah, we certainly are heading into uh, the most active uh, two months of the season coming up. Uh, and we're already to the east storm. We haven't had a hurricane yet. We've had five named storms this year, but uh, they've all been tropical storms. But nothing really on the horizon that we're watching uh, at the moment. There is perhaps a system in the central Atlantic we'll be watching uh, toward the end of the week. But there's a lot of Saharan dust that's been blowing into the uh, open Atlantic that's been kind of uh, preventing a lot of these uh, tropical waves from developing. Uh, but we'll certainly keep an eye on things again as we head toward the uh, toward the height of uh, tropical season in early September. But at the moment, nothing of immediate concern to, to uh, Florida. Very interesting talking it all over with our fine AccuWeather meteorologist, Brian Thompson. Thank you so much for coming on. Good morning, Orlando. Have a great day, Brian. Thanks, you too. Okay, good deal. Uh, in a moment, what is this furor all about? The left freaking out as Florida agrees to turn over the voter information the Trump Voter Fraud Commission wants. I'll tell you here in a moment. You remember back in May, President Trump believing he really got shortchanged in the election and lost a popular vote because millions of people voted illegally? You know, all the anti-Trump media machine, the ATM machine, as I call it. You know, Ben Sanders, no evidence of that whatsoever, Mr. President. You lost in the popular vote and that's it. Well, the president doesn't buy that. And so he has decided to create a voter fraud commission Uh, That's the vernacular. The actual title of it is the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. And um, this is a bipartisan panel that has been set up to examine the issue of voter integrity, voting integrity, voter fraud. Now, part of that was that um, all the states were requested to turn over information from from their voting rolls, okay? Uh, voters' names, addresses, dates of birth, party affiliation, whether they voted in the last 10 years, elections, military status, in accordance with um, uh, Florida's public records laws. All of this stuff's out there in public under the Florida Sunshine Laws, okay? None of this stuff is secret. If you think your privacy is being violated, it's not. This stuff is already out there. The commission has pledged that none of the information they receive is going to be released to the public. You either trust that or you don't. But this information is already out there in public. There is nothing that is being released, really, that isn't already publicly available. And, you know, if we're going to have a representative republic, voting integrity is absolutely critically important to that. Everything flows from that. People have to know, people have to believe that the vote count is honest. And that there aren't millions of people who shouldn't be voting who are voting and millions of people voting who shouldn't be. And what's wrong with it examining that? I don't know whether Trump is right or wrong. He may be completely wrong on the issue of him being shorted several million votes in the 2016 election. Winning the presidency through the Electoral College losing it by $3 million to Hillary Clinton. But be that as it may, I don't have a problem with, with checking for voter fraud. I think there's a lot more of it than anybody wants to admit. But I want to know for sure. But left, the left is just apoplectic about this. 
They don't want this information given over to the Trump administration, even though there's nothing that they're getting that isn't publicly available. They're just consolidating it all in one place. I'm sorry, I don't have a problem with this. And I'm not just circling the wagons on behalf of a president that I would vote for tomorrow if I had the opportunity to do it again, just as I voted for him in November. I'm really not. I always tell it like I see it on this show. And I just don't have a problem with this. I mean, they're, they're saying, and there's lawsuits from the ACLU, that they're worried that this is all about voter suppression, trying to suppress principally the minority vote. I don't see it. Maybe you can enlighten me. I just want the voting rolls examined to make sure that we do not have voting fraud. And I want to have the confidence of having actually determined that as opposed to everybody having an uninformed opinion as to whether or not there is voter fraud. And again, all of this data given to the Trump Commission is public record already under Florida's open records laws. What in the world is the big furor over this? You tell me. How do you feel about it? 407-916-5400. My text line, 23680. I will make time in our next talk segment right after a news update at the bottom of the hour for your take on this. I just don't have a problem with it. We'll see what Yaffe has to say here in a moment. And you at 407-916-5400, or weigh in on the text line. Thumbs up, thumbs down on what the president's trying to do. How do you feel about all of this objection, all of this furor from the left? This is all about voter suppression. We shouldn't be turning this information over to the Trump commission. It's already public information, gang. This is nothing new that isn't already available. And is there anybody out there who thinks ferreting out voter fraud is a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe the left that maybe benefits from fraudulent voting. Then before you bring us the news update here, how about we take a phone call? We got a lot of them coming in on my take on Florida deciding to turn over uh, voter information to the uh, Trump Voter Fraud Commission. It is controversial. Yeah, let's talk to uh, Joe in Titusville. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are you doing, Deborah? I'm fat and sassy. How are you, Joe? Uh, same here. <laughs> Good to hear. So oh, you make your... a lovely couple. You <laughs> do, yes. <laughs> what's your take on the uh, the voter commission? Well, number one, voter registration is a function of the state, and yet again it shows states unable to handle their business. Number two... I'm not really confident in the people running this commission since it's mostly Republicans and there's no unaffiliated or independents there. I think it's six Uh, to four Republican Democrat. Yeah, but you see, I want unaffiliated people in there because Uh I don't trust either party Hmm. anyway. Okay. Because both parties have screwed up this country. Okay. So I would be more confident in having unaffiliated voters running this Mm -hmm. because it can. It can basically be used as a data hall uh, where you can manipulate. Okay. And the other thing is I heard that they were also asking some states for their Social Security numbers also, which is classified. And 
the other thing is yeah by the way florida did not turn that did that over okay there were one or yeah. two or little bits of information other than that uh, criminal histories of registered voters they didn't turn over either everything else they did turn over and it's already out there in the public yeah and if they wanted if the commission wanted they could have farmed it the regular way and, and get it through through uh freedom of information you know okay. requesting i just i just don't i don't trust that big of a database in the hands of, of any government agency, and they can't protect it. Everything gets hacked. So to say that it, they're not going to release it doesn't mean people aren't going to hack into it. So I, I just think it's it's a problem that's going to get bigger. That's all. Well, thank you, Joe. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm one of those who's not comfortable with it for, like you said, because there's no way of protecting digital information. And again, it's all information that's already public yeah and in our case in florida's case it's it's stuff that you know driver's license numbers social security numbers not turned over yeah well we'll see we'll see how it all plays out but the decision has been made at the state level by the secretary of state detzner and there we go now listen i've got ricky kim reginald others on the line who don't see it joe's way see it more my way right after deb updates us on the news beginning with the chaos in venezuela and the u.s reaction to it We'll be taking your calls, so stay on the line. Join us at 407-916-5400 or get on that text line at 23680. Now a news update from Deb here from the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. Take it away. Where the U.S. government has frozen any assets held by Venezuela's President Nicolas Maduro after he held a controversial poll. Under the sanctions, American firms and individuals are banned from doing business with him. The election on Sunday was held amid mass protests. At least 10 people were killed. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. A Florida man is facing multiple charges after he attempted to steal a car, and that attempt failed. It's probably because the vehicle was a Fort Pierce police car that was parked at the police department with a police officer in the front seat. <laughs> this is your Florida file that's a bottomless pit. It really is. <laughs> the officer says he was just sitting in his car earlier this month when 20-year-old Aaron Rodriguez of Okeechobee attempted to open the passenger door. So the officer helped him out and opened the door from the inside, causing Rodriguez to run and hide behind another vehicle. But he was quickly captured. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he definitely needs some chlorine in his uh, gene pool. It's bad. But it's not just here. A New Jersey security guard didn't even last a day on his new job after police say he stole $100,000. That's not it. That's getting off on the wrong foot. It really is, but $100,000 in a day? <laughs> Fairfield police say 19-year-old Larry Brooks took the cash while employed at Garda Security. The theft was caught on surveillance video, and most of the money was found in the suspect's car. Police arrested Brooks and charged him with second-degree theft. <laughs> Man. So thankfully, a little bit of the stupid has traveled a little bit north. Yes, it has. That's yeah. from New Jersey. That's my old from home New state. Jersey. Frankly, doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Deb. You're what welcome, we bud. We're going to be come back with more at the top of the hour. You bet. I'll be right back at eight o'clock. All right, and whenever news breaks, yes. you fix it. Yeah, well, that's what they say. <laughs> Thank you, Deb. <laughs> You're welcome. So the left is freaking out. Over the Trump administration with their voter fraud commission requesting voter information from all of the states. Here in Florida, the Secretary of State Ken Detzner has turned over information about 13 million registered voters here in Florida. Okay. 
Uh, you know, it's it's voters' names, addresses, dates of birth, party affiliation, whether they voted in the last 10-year election, military status, that sort of thing. And it's all public information under Florida's sunshine laws. And I frankly just do not have a problem with it. But the left is apoplectic, you know, because I think, I think they find that fraudulent voting is been and will be to their advantage as long as it exists. Here is Kim in Orlando with your take on this. Kim, you're on with a Budman. Good morning. Good morning. I agree with you. I uh, it's funny the hypocrisy. They want every stone unturned on Russia. They worry about Russia releasing real legit emails. They want everyone but the dog catcher checking and trying to find everything. They have no problem combing through every family member and the Trump family, who walked in the hotel, who left the hotel. But the minute you say, well, okay, let's, they all say, all of them, oh, the the elections have to be, you know, uh, up and up. We have to serve, we have to know because we can't have our elections compromised. But the minute you say, well, that's fine, let's make sure the Americans and all the people in America who voted were legitimate voters, Oh, no, no, no. Now they don't want to do that. They say that doesn't matter. Yeah. And the guy before who you were talking to, and he talked about the commission having six and four on it. I wonder how he feels about Mueller's uh, panel, uh, if he feels the same way that everybody Mueller has picked isn't all uh, Republicans. Oh, are you kidding believe- me? There's all kinds of former Obama donors exactly. and, and, and Democrat donors, etc. Excellent point. The hypocrisy of the left on this. Yaffe, your thoughts on uh, Florida turning over all that information that's already public to the Voter Fraud Commission? Well, uh, yeah, it's hard to be too upset if it's already public. Most of the opposition that I've read about this is mostly just political. They don't like Trump's comment. They don't like Trump's statement. They believe that voter fraud isn't that big of a deal. So they just don't like Trump, and that's why they don't support it. I think that's where most of the opposition comes from. What's coming in on the text line? Let us see here. Um, uh, One person, uh, a bunch of people just basically support that this is okay. The Sports Florida doing this as long as it's public information. Yeah, that's where I am. Here is Ricky in Orlando weighing in. Good morning to you, Ricky. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Sure. Uh, Two points I'd like to make. Number one. I'm totally in support of Florida turning over the voting rolls to the Trump Commission. Um, the first point I'd like to make is that my son went to vote this past November, and when he went there, he was he told that uh, he already voted. So that was a shock to him. Really? What was Florida. going on there? I, I, that's what I'm saying. I have no idea. Somebody apparently must have used his name to vote so that when he went to vote, he was told he already voted. So talk about voter fraud. I mean, yeah. that's definitely something that needs to be looked into it does and and we need to get a definitive um uh a a ruling on this and and really understand what is or is not going on uh in in voting it's so critical to our our form of government thank you for that i appreciate it ricky let me move on to reginald waiting in lakeland to weigh in on this and good morning i think we just lost him on the phone yaffe your show is on tonight in prime time let's talk about it Yes, it is on 8 to 10 p.m. tonight for Beyond Reason Radio, where I'm the voice of reason in a world that is beyond reason. And we'll go over all the latest news. And you'll be taking calls and text messages, same way we do it in the morning. Yeah, we'll probably talk about Obamacare and uh, more because that's just an issue that is not going away. 
No, no doubt about care. it. Yeah, we talked earlier, and we will a little later in the show. Uh, looks like, you know, the president's demanding that the Senate revive um, the health care uh, debate and with a new bill, and uh, and it may well happen. So we'll be talking about it, and you'll be talking about it tonight in prime time, 8 to 10. Yeah, right? I'll, I'll talk about um, where I think all this is headed. There you go. Been talking about uh, the controversy. The left is apoplectic over the fact that states like Florida have now turned over information on uh, voter rolls already public here in Florida and every other state I'm aware of to the Voter Fraud Commission that the president has set up by executive order. I don't have a problem with it. Wendell uh, from Winter Springs, um, I think it's important that we find out about voter fraud, you know, whether we've got it, whether we don't. And if we've got it, which I think we do, we fix it. What do you think? I agree with you, bud. Good. I've got a paper here that says an IBD editorial cited by Just Facts Daily, which is a libertarian think tank. It uh, cites a Harvard slash U dot gov poll that as many as 5.7 million non-citizens saying they had cast votes in the former president Barack Obama's first election. I assume that's the primary because it says in that number was 3.6 million in 2012. So evidently there's plenty of people out there that uh, yeah. didn't vote. I mean, they shouldn't have voted. Well, I think, I think that kind of thing's going on. I'm not aware of that particular study, Wendell, but, um, you know, but I've always believed that there is voter fraud. Whether it cost Trump the popular vote in the election, I don't know. That's a lot of votes. But this problem has got to be seriously addressed. And there's nothing wrong with making public record information available to a bipartisan commission like this. All right, as we roll on into the um, 8 o'clock hour, we're going to have a live report from AccuWeather Meteorologist. We'll find out all you need to know about now-departed Tropical Storm Emily, and we'll look ahead at what hap- what's going on in the tropics. And I'm also going to ask him, frankly, uh, this was a big surprise. This storm came out of nowhere. How do the forecasters, with all they have in terms of technology and knowledge, how do they get fooled like that? It's a little scary, isn't it? Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into the possible revival of health care. We have our daily sound judgment game and a live report on um, General Kelly taking the helm as chief of staff in the Trump White House. All of that in the next hour, which begins with Deborah Roberts updating our news at the top of the hour on the White House imposing sanctions on Venezuela. And we're getting some pain at the pump now. And she'll have the latest on that as we continue from the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. Good morning to you. It's 7.59 now. Good morning, Orlando. Good morning to you at the top of the 8 o'clock hour on a marvelous Tuesday morning here in the Orlando area as we update Orlando's news, weather, and traffic for you on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning the White House imposes sanctions on Venezuela and pain at the pump continues. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. Live update on Emily's departure and arrival and health care's possible revival. This half hour of Good Morning Orlando. And good Tuesday morning. It's 8.03 on News Radio 1025. The White House is responding strongly to Venezuela's weekend election. In a briefing on Monday, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said new sanctions are being directed at Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. 
National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster slammed civil rights abuses in Venezuela and described the weekend election as illegitimate. And his recent actions culminating in yesterday's outrageous seizure of absolute power through the sham election represent a very serious blow to democracy in our hemisphere. Mnuchin said Maduro is a dictator who disregards the will of the Venezuelan people. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. Bud is going to have a report on this right after the news, but much of Florida is still soaked after a visit from Emily. The tropical storm made landfall in the Tampa Bay area around mid-morning yesterday with heavy rains that caused flooding, knocked down trees, and left thousands without power. It continued across the Sunshine State, dumping more rain as it was downgraded to a tropical depression. As of this morning, what is left of Emily was about 50 miles north-northeast of Vero Beach. The National Hurricane Center says the depression will continue to move away from Florida and will stay well off the southeastern U.S. coast over the next couple of days. In the meantime, while Tropical Storm Emily won't have an impact on gas prices in the future, Patrick DeHaan at GasBuddy.com says other factors will. He says that political upheaval in Venezuela, a cut in production by OPEC, and declining U.S. inventories will keep prices on the rise. Yes, we still have above-average oil inventories, but the situation could change very quickly. All in all, Uh, U.S. oil inventories at about 490 million barrels would still only last about 24 days. Gas prices jumped more than 8 cents over the past week to a statewide average of 228 a gallon. And according to GasBuddy.com, the average in Orlando is just a tick below that at 227. Uber will begin raising the pay of many of its workers today. The move is aimed at doing something about the gap between what Uber has been paying men and women who work for the ride-sharing company. Uber announced last month that it'll adjust the salaries of its 12,000 workers based on job title, location, and time with the company. The biggest pay raises will go to engineers. Uber will also raise the pay of non-technical workers who are now paid less than the median wage for the industry. Back here in the Sunshine State, look before you lock. That's the message from safety advocates in southwest Florida. They gathered yesterday at the Cape Coral Fire Department on Southwest First Street. The campaign is designed to remind parents, caregivers, and others to never leave a child alone in a car. Experts say vehicular heat stroke can lead to death. Children are especially vulnerable because they can absorb heat three to five times faster than adults. And so far this year, four children have died after being left in hot cars here in Florida. And finally, HBO says hackers broke into the network's computers and put unreleased episodes of a number of popular shows online. HBO released a statement yesterday saying it, quote, recently experienced a cyber incident which resulted in the compromise of proprietary information, end quote. Reports say unreleased episodes of Ballers and Room 104 have already been put online. A script from the next episode of Game of Thrones has also been posted. WFLA News Time, it's 8.06. Read about a dramatic rescue saving cable car passengers at 1025wfla.com. The third hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. News, weather, traffic. This is Good Morning Orlando on News Radio 1025. Damn, that's pretty scary stuff, too, those, those folks in the cable cars. We're not talking about a San Francisco cable car. We're talking about like a... You know, like like you know, like like a like a tourist cable car, yeah. right? A, a, like a ski lift sort of a thing, right? Yes, I believe it's. And in they are Switzerland. way up there, <laughs> harrowing to say the least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like, was on something like that on Saturday at Bush Gardens. You know, they have the little sky lift things, yeah. a little smaller version of that. 
Ooh. I didn't know how dangerous it was. I thought it was one of the safer rides at Bush Gardens. <laughs> I'm glad we told him about that story after he got off the cable cars at Bush Gardens and is back here. <laughs> You're well, not kidding. I know they had that story what, a few weeks ago where they had to uh, catch a girl who was falling off one. Wasn't it something similar to yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it was at, I think, at one of the Six Flags parks. Yeah. And, uh, and, Crazy. Yeah, and everybody said, jump, 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 we'll catch you. Somehow she kind of slipped out of the... Uh, the um the bar that uh, you know, below the bar it was just really really scary stuff. Anyway, we <laughs> no, digress. Good to have Yaffe back with us here after a three day weekend. He'll have his prime time show um, beyond reason, taking your calls and text messages just as we do in the morning tonight on WFLA. Yaffe in prime time from eight until ten. In a moment, a live report from one of our fine AccuWeather meteorologists. A couple of questions I. Uh, I want to ask uh, Brian Thompson connected to um, to Emily and what it may or may not portend for the kind of tropical season we are going to face because we've now hit August and, you know, things really start heating up. So good morning from us all from the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. Big surprise yesterday morning went out of nowhere off the, off the coast of the Tampa Bay area. We suddenly had... Uh, tropical storm Emily. Well, now beautiful blue skies. Emily is uh, is gone, um, but we want to talk over this storm and the soggy trek it took across Central Florida yesterday with one of our fine AccuWeather meteorologists, uh, Brian Thompson. Welcome back to Good Morning Orlando, and good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Got to ask you, any lingering effects from this storm? I mean, is it still? Raining, storming anywhere. What about rip currents off the East Coast as this storm departs into the Atlantic? Yeah, that's about it as far as impacts go. The uh, rain, uh, look at the radar, uh, most of uh, Florida dry. There are a couple of lingering showers across South Florida, but those really aren't uh, associated directly with Emily. Uh, but uh, certainly we'll have some rip currents, uh, at least, uh, and perhaps a small increase in the surf along the uh, Southeast Coast here uh, today and even into tomorrow, although the storm is not. Uh, really that strong right now. The top wind's only 30 miles per hour, so it won't be a huge uh, jump in surf, more of a rip current threat, if anything. Now, where are the remnants of Emily as we speak? Uh, the uh, center of the storm, the kind of the leftover swirl, is uh, now offshore, about 75 miles to the east of, uh, let's say, Cape Canaveral, and uh, drifting off toward the east-northeast. So it continues to move away from Florida, and it's going to continue on a track uh, to the northeast over the next few days. Uh, not really expected to strengthen much, if at all. Uh, so it looks like it's not going to be a, a, a problem really for us uh, that much longer and uh, really for anybody along the southeast coast. Brian, you and your team in AccuWeather are the best in the business. That's why we have you on Good Morning Orlando. But the forecasters got fooled yesterday when this storm erupted when they believed that it would never develop. What happened there? Well, one of the things was it was so close to land. Uh, I think there was a, a thinking that uh, maybe there wouldn't be a low-level circulation soon enough before the the center of that uh, kind of the blob of moisture that was already on shore across Florida, uh, there just wouldn't be enough time for it to develop before it came on shore. And even when it became a tropical depression, it wasn't really apparent that it was going to become a tropical storm after that. But it, uh, soon there were just a, just enough wind on the south side of the storm that it became uh, officially a tropical storm when it made landfall. Uh, there were some wind gusts up around 40 or 45 miles per hour uh, near Sarasota, but uh, wind was not really a big issue with the storm overall. It was certainly the uh, heavy rain, and where the rain bands set up and where they sat for a while, uh, some places picked up four, five, six inches of rain. 
Yeah, Wakaiva, Wakaiva Springs, were five or six inches here in the uh, in the area. Lake Mary over five inches. Apopka over four. Longwood over four. Oviedo about three and a half. And uh, at our place in in Seminole County, it just wouldn't stop raining yesterday. We had water all over the place. Folks who were south of here had a lot of rain. They still have had some flooding. Um, they're dealing with down in the Lakeland area. That a storm would fool the forecasters and pop up out of nowhere in the Gulf. Does that portend anything for the rest of the hurricane season? Is there something going on here we need to be worried about? No, not really. This is the case where this is a a very small feature. Sometimes the the computer models have a harder time handling the smaller features, uh, especially when they're this close to the coast. And uh, again, it was was just so close to the coast, uh, there was thinking maybe it wouldn't develop in time, but uh, just acquired just enough characteristics to become a tropical storm and then moved on shore. So uh, this isn't something that would be a concern down the road, but uh, certainly something to learn from uh, down the road uh, for situations perhaps like this one. I've only got a few seconds here, but as you uh, scan the tropics, anything we need to have our eyes on? Nothing in the immediate future. Uh, Emily's the only thing uh, of immediate concern. Uh, as we go down the road later in the week, there will be a feature in the uh, Central Atlantic we'll be watching. There's a lot of Saharan dust, though, in the Central Atlantic that's been kind of inhibiting development. Uh, so nothing of immediate concern, but uh, we're certainly heading, uh, ramping up towards uh, the peak of hurricane season, so we'll have to keep an eye on it here over the next uh, several weeks. Dust from the Sahara Desert keeping the lid on tropical systems, <laughs> at least for now, huh? Yes. Very that's interesting. Case, uh, at times, a lot of the last couple of seasons, and we're seeing it again this year. Very interesting. AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson, thanks for coming on with us here in Good Morning Orlando. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Yeah, you bet. So just when you think that health care legislation is dead in the United States Congress, perhaps not. President Trump is demanding action. And it looks like the Senate is listening. Health care revival in the Senate? Yep, Trump's demanding it. Senator Lindsey Graham is with him. And I caught him on Fox last night, and this surprised me. Graham, who hasn't had anything good to say about President Trump of late, pitching a totally different approach than what we saw in the recent Senate efforts, including that skinny repeal that went nowhere. Listen to Graham. I am like 1,000% with Donald Trump on this. We should be politically horsewhipped if we don't try again. The best idea we haven't even brought up, take all the money under Obamacare and mm-hmm. block grant it back to the states. That in single-payer health care, the government closest to the people is the best government. The health care closest to the people is the best health care. It will make health care more accessible to you. If you don't like what's going on, you complain to your governor or your statehouse guy rather than a bureaucrat in Washington. I'm so excited about this. Mr. President, don't let us quit. Make us keep trying. I think we can pass this bill uh, to block grant the money back to the state. Three things at work here. When Graham says we ought to be politically horsewhipped, he's talking about the fact that the one grand promise that Republicans made and ran on over four election cycles was give us control of the government, House, Senate, White House, and we will repeal and replace Obamacare, and they have not done it. They will be held to account in the 2018 elections, and it could be a fiasco for the Republicans. That's what he's talking about there. They will be politically horsewhipped at least the way things look to me now. Also, the president is threatening that he could stop issuing federal government payments to insurance companies, which would cause, I think, the almost instant implosion of the Obamacare system. Pretty shaky right now anyway. And also, he's threatening to stop paying subsidies for members of Congress 
and most of their staff, and they got sweetheart deals when Obamacare came in that the rest of us can't get. So we'll see what's going on there. What do you think, Yaffe? You're a real student on health care here of what Graham is all excited about doing now. Well, I mean, what he's proposing has been proposed for Medicaid in terms of block granting Medicaid to the states. I think that was part of the last plan. Oh, yeah. But this is beyond that. This is all the Obamacare subsidies block granting that to the states. It's definitely better than what we have. And I agree with him that government closest to the people is the best. The biggest problem with it is it kind of saves Obamacare when you really think about it because it keeps the subsidies and it it cements the idea that it's the federal government's job to subsidize health care. It's kind of another version of skinny repeal, right? Just another way, another angle on it. And the biggest problem with health care are the regulations right now that Obamacare has put in place. But because the makeup of the Senate and reconciliation and all that, it's very hard to repeal that. But that's the biggest thing that has to be repealed. But I understand why Lindsey Graham is doing this. He's doing this because he thinks this is the one plan that will be able to get Democrats on board. So you won't have to worry about, you know, only being able to lose two, three Republican votes, yeah. Collins, Murkowski, and McCain, who deep six the whole thing, as we know. If you bring on some Democrats, it counters that deficit in the Republicans. You're never going to get 50 votes out of the Republicans. They're just too split. You might get right. a, you might get a Joe Manchin, some of the other more conservative Democrats to come on board. And this block grant back to the states, the way Graham says, he specifically mentioned West Virginia's situation. That's Manchin State would be a whole lot better under that. Yeah, um, so. I yeah, I actually heard him on Fox and Friends earlier, Graham, and he was saying that he's been talking to a bunch of governors that really support this idea and think it's a good idea. I think you could probably get some Democrats on board because. It kind of saves parts of Obamacare, and there are Democrats who admit that Obamacare has problems, but if they see a way to save it somehow, they might they might sign on to this. You'll be talking about it in your primetime show, Beyond Reason, tonight on WFLA from 8 to 10, right, buddy? Yes, I want to talk about this and the future of the Republican Party and where all of this is going. Okay, excellent. My co-host and partner, Deborah Roberts, has come on down the hallway from the newsroom with um, the very latest news. And uh, we have chaos in South America in the nation of Venezuela, and the U.S. is reacting to it. And sternly. Yes, very much so. But the Treasury Department, in fact, slapped sanctions on Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro on Monday, sending a clear signal of the Trump administration's opposition to his regime. The move comes a day after Maduro declared a sweeping victory in a vote that will allow him to further consolidate his power over that crisis-torn nation. Much of the world, and including many of Venezuela's own citizens, have called that vote an assault on democracy and an absolute sham. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. The Oregon National Guard is being called out because of this month's uh, total solar eclipse. Yeah, I headlined this. You gave me the headline, and I flat can't believe that that's something you'd call the Guard out for. What's going on there? I can't either, but once you hear the details, it might make a little bit more sense. But yeah, Oregon's governor has authorized the use of 150 soldiers and six helicopters to help out. The reason is the state is expecting about a million visitors to come and witness the eclipse on August 21st, and officials fear that huge influx of people is going to jam highways and stretch their resources thin. And as luck would have it, the eclipse also coincides with peak wildfire season in Oregon. So troops will likely deploy along the center line of the eclipse that includes the cities of Salem, Redmond, and Baker City. And this eclipse is rare in the sense that it 
goes all the way across the country, northwest to southeast, and it goes apparently through five state capitals. So there are going to be major population centers who may in some form be dealing with the same concerns Oregon has. Now I think I... I sort of understand what they're talking about here. Coming up on the 21st. 21st, yeah. Even the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is getting in on it. I'm going to get ready to start running public service announcements telling people not to pull over on the side of the road and just stare up at the sky. Which is exactly what they will do. It's exactly what we're going to do. I've seen one of these. I plan to go up to Nashville to see this one uh, later in August. And uh, yeah, and, and I mean, it's a once in a lifetime experience and people react to that. They do. And you covered the last total solar eclipse we had in the U.S. As a is... young reporter in 1979, I went yeah. to Winnipeg, Canada. I'll never forget it. And I said, I'm going to see another one. And this is an opportunity I'm not going to miss. Yeah, absolutely. I figured you wouldn't, bud. <laughs> All right. Here's a cool story. The man blamed by many Chicago Cubs fans for preventing the team from getting to the 2003 World Series is getting a very, and I do mean very, special gift. The Cubs owners, the Ricketts family, announced they are giving Steve Bartman a 2016 World Series championship ring. Wow. Bartman, of course, remember, infamously interfered with a foul ball in Game 6 of the 2003 National League Championship Series, causing most fans to blame him for the Cubs' eventual series loss. In a statement, the Cubs said, quote, We hope this provides closure on an unfortunate chapter of the story that is perpetuated throughout our quest to win a long-awaited World Series. We felt it was important. Steve knows he has been and continues to be fully embraced by this organization, end quote. Bartman soon released his own statement, thanking the Cubs, adding that, quote, I am hopeful this ring gesture will be the start of an important healing and reconciliation process for all involved, end quote. My understanding is his life has never returned to normal. No. I mean, everybody hated him back then because they'd waited so long for the series, and he reached out and he denied a fielder a chance to catch a foul ball, and and it changed the game completely. And changed his life. I mean, it he's pretty did, much run and out he of town. still kind of lives in the shadows. Yeah, he's still very, has. he's been offered book deals, television deals, even movie deals, and oh, he geez. just continues to remain um, under the radar. He just doesn't want any more publicity than what he's already received. But the Cubs finally got the World Series, and he got a ring. And he I got a like ring. that. That's a classy move. Isn't that a classy oh, move? Oh, yes. From a very classy ball club. I like that. You like the Cubs, don't I you? I do. Well, my my man, Chris Carson, he's a huge Cubs fan. So mm-hmm. yeah. by proxy, I'm a huge Cubs fan as well. That's good. Yeah, it's a great there. team. Great story, too. Thank you. Thank I thought you we would that. end it on a good note. Yeah, we absolutely did. That is good stuff. All right, the 50,000-watt front porch jam-packed with contestants, Yaffe, for our sound judgment game. Let's tell them more about this prize we're playing for. Yes, bud. They can win a pair of tickets to see your Orlando City Pride take on Sky Blue of New Jersey at the Purple Palace on Saturday, August 12th. Orlando City Pride obviously is uh, our girls' soccer team locally here. Um, Women's soccer. These oh, aren't just girls. I'm These so- are women, and they I'm are terrific sorry. fun I'm to watch. Sorry. Yes, I understand. Um, you can get tickets and more info at 1025wfla.com. I didn't want you to think we got a bunch of nine-year-olds running around out there. I mean, you know. <laughs> anyway, I mean, most people know what the pride is in this town. I understand that. And 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 here's the thing. You don't have to come in to the, um, uh, to the station to get the tickets. It couldn't be more convenient. If you're a winner, you'll find out exactly how that works. Are you ready to go? 407-916-5400, the number. 
The next Summer Olympic Games are going to be held in the United States, and they'll be held in Los Angeles. I want you to listen to some sound from Sports Illustrated on, forgive me, Sports Illustrated on yesterday's big announcement. But then, and listen closely, use your sound judgment to tell me what city hosted the last Summer Games played in America and give me the year that happened. Summer Olympics are headed for Hollywood. The LA Times has learned that the 2028 Games will take place in Los Angeles. LA and Paris were initially competing to host the 2024 Games, but the IOC was reportedly impressed by both cities' bids and took the unusual step of offering both cities a shot at hosting. This will be the third Olympics for LA, who last hosted in 1984. But our sound judgment question to you, what city hosted the last Summer Olympics in the U.S.? And what was the year? Not all that far from here, remember? Let's go to the phones and line one. Go ahead, line one. Atlanta, 1996. Game over. Yaffe was right. He says, oh, they're going to get this. I said, I don't know. I think it might take a while. But it didn't take long. Nice job and congratulations on winning the pride tickets. Thank you very much, but I still have some Coca-Cola uh, uh, bottles uh, still unopened from 1996. Yeah, that, that's their home base up there. So they had commemorative bottles for the Olympics, huh? Yes, sir. Aren't you worried they might go a little flat or are you never going to open them? Uh, never going to open them. I've, <laughs> I've given some away, actually. given some away to some friends and family. Very, very cool. Please give me your first name. Carmelo, C-A-R-M-E-L-O. All right. Where are you calling in from this morning? Right from Orlando. Bingo. Don't go away. When Yaffe gets a minute and he's a busy guy in the control room this morning, uh, he will get with you and we'll tell you how to get those uh, pride tickets without even coming into the station. Okay, my friend? Appreciate it, bud. Thank you, sir. Yeah, congratulations to you, Carmelo. Yeah, the Atlanta Summer Games back in 1996. Before we go, if you're just joining us, and we talked about this um, at length earlier in the program, uh, Health care may be about to be revived in the in the U.S. Congress and also also uh, lots of drama surrounding the uh, big White House staff shakeup. And we're going to get the latest on that from our fine Washington based News Radio 1025 national correspondent Joe Gomez. He is next. We'll have that. Stay tuned. Nobody I can connect with who knows more about what's going on in Washington than our Washington-based News Radio 1025 National Correspondent, Joe Gomez, joining us again here on Good Morning Orlando. Joe, thanks for making time for us here. Well, thanks for having me, bud. So let's talk about it. Yesterday, they swore in General John Kelly, moved him over from Homeland Security to be the new White House Chief of Staff, and he took action right away, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he was uh, very swift. He uh, came in and he, uh, I guess, uh, had uh, evaluated certain uh, staff members and decided that uh, that he did not want Anthony Scaramucci as uh, White House Communications Director and then expressed uh, his desire reportedly to get Scaramucci fired to the president. And it happened. Scaramucci uh, was fired uh, yesterday uh, from his position at the White House. And uh, he was only 10 days on the job. Yeah. I guess this sends a clear signal to uh, from, to members of the White House staff that there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is uh, Chief of Staff, uh, John Kelly. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, what is the latest you have? There's been a little bit of um, uh, uncertainty about whether or not he has a direct line to the president that everybody who wants to get to the president, including family members, has to go through the new Chief of Staff, John Kelly. Is, is that what you understand to be true? 
Well, that's the official uh, statement. Yeah, that's the official version. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the uh, White House press secretary, actually said that yesterday during a, a daily briefing, that uh, that everybody is going to have to first report to uh, Chief of Staff uh, John Kelly. Yeah, but what about uh, Jared and what about Ivanka, the family? I mean, even well, them, huh? Even 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 them, I guess. Officially, wow. excuse me, even them are they're going to have to report to uh, to Chief of Staff John Kelly as well. But you know, there's some question about whether or not you know because they're Trump's children. The you know they they really are going to have to go around are going to have to go through Kelly. We'll have to just have to see in time, I suppose. But I mean, Kelly is as somebody who obviously comes the background of being the a general in the Marine Corps, uh, somebody that I think. Um, Trump is hoping could uh, whip this uh, White House into shape, provide right. more stability, end the leaks maybe uh, because of the uh, because of the drama that's been happening there. Just over the past month, there's been a lot, I think. Of no question about it. But with Scaramucci gone, I, I am hearing now that maybe Kellyanne Conway might become the communications director. Anything on that before I let you go? Yeah, I think uh, there, there's a lot of uh, rumor about that. And, uh, and Kellyanne Conway, obviously, she was a very good uh, surrogate for the president uh, during the campaign trail. Uh, she was his campaign manager, so she was behind the she was in front of the cameras a lot and behind the scenes, too. Uh, but she's very good at, I think, relaying his message in a way that's palatable to the American public. So yep. might be a good choice to have Kellyanne Conway in charge of communication strategy if she'll take the job. As always, thanks to our Washington-based News Radio 1025 National Correspondent, Joe Gomez. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, bud. You've had 856 here in the 50,000-watt front porch. We had to let Joe go a little bit early. His other obligations, he services other stations. Uh, we wanted to talk to him about the potential revival of health care on Capitol Hill, which the president is demanding and which Senator Lindsey Graham seems very, very excited about. And Yaffe, you and I have talked about that a couple of times this morning, and I suspect that you may have an opportunity to talk about that tonight. For folks who want the best in primetime talk radio on WFLA, my executive producer will provide it tonight. Yes, uh, 8 to 10 p.m., and I have to agree with Trump on one thing. Um, why does Congress get all these subsidies You know that everybody else does not get? Yeah. In terms of Obamacare. I think it's good for him to bring that up because it's an excellent point. Oh, absolutely right. Absolutely right. It was a sweetheart deal that was carved out for them when Obamacare came in, you know, and uh, I I think he's really making them feel uncomfortable. And I think he's particularly, uh, you know, he's driving home the point. This is what you promised the voters for seven years and four election cycles. Give us the reins of power as Republicans, and we will, above all else, repeal and replace Obamacare. They haven't done it, and voters have long memories for that kind of thing. And I think that uh, I think they're scared. Yeah, and well, I, and not I, only that, but the polls show that health care is the number one issue for a lot of people in this country. Yep. So yep. they can't this they can't just move on because people still care about it. It's still affecting them every day. Yep, absolutely right. You know, and back to the um, the big staff shakeup in the White House. Um, I'm 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 excited about General John Kelly. Uh, I think this is going to be a good thing if Trump will hold to the fact that he is the one through whom everyone must go, the kids included, to get to the president. I think we can get things really well organized, really well oiled. The president's already doing a lot of great things end a lot of the distractions, and make this administration even more effective than it 
has been. That is my hope. But you have no idea what's going to happen one minute to the next, which makes it interesting, doesn't it? And uh, fuels a lot of our conversation in one form or another every morning from 6 to 9 here on the 50,000-watt front porch for the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit LauraHasTheBuyers.com. Catch you tomorrow morning. Thank you. God bless you, and God bless America.